Welcome to Discover Ag, where every week we discover what's new in the world of agriculture. We're your hosts, Natalie Kavorik and Tara Vanderdusen, and together we bring you our professional farming opinions on a mix of entertainment, facts, and trending news articles in the ag and food space. We're ag like you've never heard it before. Welcome to episode 67. There was, was a lot happening in the news this week. I feel like we have a lot to cover. I know, and I feel like I should preface this episode <laughs> by saying I am so tired. <laughs> Between like having and a baby who still gets up for a bottle and a toddler who's afraid of the dark and a teenager who stays out way too late, all the people who think they get asleep when their kids are older, it's false. It's like your teenagers go out on the weekend and then they wake you up and you're still awake. Anyway, I'm feeling snarky. So if some com- if I have some like off the hinge comments with our discussions today, just know this is this is calving season, Natalie. Welcome to the show, Capping Season, Natalie. <laughs> we are having our second straight two-hour delay for zero reason. So if they're screaming in the background, if kids come in, that's what I'm dealing with on my end. So here we are. Welcome to our episode. I, um, when you said, t- you texted me the other day about your two-hour delay, that's normally what we have when we have snow. And I was like, oh, did Tara get, because they'll delay school like a late start and it usually is like 10 o'clock. And I was like, oh, did Tara get snow? But they don't give a reason. It's literally like yesterday they delayed it and I drove to Lubbock. So 90 miles before 8 a.m. And I never hit ice. Not one time. Like I think it's I think they delayed it because it's just really cold. And by really cold, I mean, it's like 15. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm just like, can we move on? Can we be like like last week we had a snow day and it actually snowed and the kids were thrilled. This two hour delay stuff. I'm just like, it's kind of for the birds. So I was grocery shopping last night. And egg prices are down. They were like five, I don't know, 69 maybe or something for 18. Are yours? Oh, wow. That I actually went grocery shopping yesterday and forgot to buy eggs. So now I'm mad I didn't because I would have liked to have seen some lower prices. We got some eggs from a friend that has backyard chickens the other day. And I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> like, you really <laughs> helped the grocery bill. <laughs> I know. I was <laughs> like, it made me... Um, it reminded me though, because I was reading an article from Ag Media Daily, and they were, they kind of made a joke. Well, two things they're targeting now with the floods in California. They made a joke about how there's going to be like ten dollar head of lettuce next year, uh, or next season, and then strawberries got a hit too. There, I read that it was like two hundred million dollars in damages. So I'm like, great, eggs are down, but now lettuce and strawberries are going to be up. I read that 80% of the strawberry crop this season is like underwater. So we have that. That's going to be fun for our grocery bill prices. I I know we talk about this, but the grocery bill prices are crazy. So I can't imagine the impact from all the flooding in California because California grows like all of our vegetables so mm-hmm. and fruit. And so I have a feeling we're going to feel that next year. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. So I was scrolling this morning, and I don't know if you have checked the Discover Ag stories, but I posted about Kylie Jenner. She is making a few headlines for a very animal statement dress, I guess. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, Yeah, I have been kind of following this. It's interesting. I feel like for anyone who hasn't seen it, we should say it's like literally a massive lion's head like stuck to a dress huge it's like as big as like her it's like bigger than her torso Mm -hmm. but it's completely fake it's not a real like lion's head it's all faux fur all like painted but it looks really realistic so as always I spent time in the comments because that's my favorite I love to feel it out 
And the top, there was like, so I don't know, a handful at the top that were like, yes, Leo energy. And then it quickly went very downhill and people were very upset about how, in their eyes, how disgusting it was. An animal making a statement, um, the animals need to be our friend, you know, the whole hoopla. And I thought it was interesting because clearly so many people from her community or the online community are upset about it. But you know who's not upset about it? PETA. Yep. Isn't that interesting? Like they're in, they're actually in support of it. They were like applauding it, yeah. saying it was the PETA president said Kylie, Naomi and Irana because there was actually three animals together. Look, celebrate the beauty of wild animals and maybe a statement against trophy hunting. And I was like, really? I feel like wearing the animal on your dress <laughs> is not really a statement against it. I'm not saying it's a statement for it, but I don't actually think it's a statement against it. I just I can't believe PETA's not in an uproar. I know. So she wore it for like a fashion week or something in Paris, right? And then two of the other ones, Naomi and the other person wore it on like the runway and there was like a wolf. And I can't remember the third animal, what it was. Um, I feel like if anything, if you saw this and you didn't have any context, like it looks super realistic. If anything, I feel like you'd be like, oh, like, wow, the Kardashians went on like an African safari and like this is appropriate. Like, I don't know. I do not get the vibe that like, I'm just surprised PETA supporting it, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm shook. Um, Um, also her son is almost a year old and she had not come out with his name yet. And apparently his name, I forget what it is, but it means like the lion. So some people do think for this intermediate term till she could come up with one, I'm pretty sure they called him wolf or wolfie, but, I, oh, the wow. new one released is air, I thought. A-I-R-E. And that means... That's the way it's spelt in some language means gotcha. lion. That's what I was... That's what I heard. Very... Leave it to the Kardashians. Time. Yeah. Oh, you know another reason why I'm tired? So I went on a whirlwind 48-hour national trip for some girlfriend's birthdays, which was extremely fun. But... um. I am tired because of that too. But it just reminded me, I was on the plane. I listened to a really very interesting podcast on the theme of interesting things going on in the world lately. Um, we are now um, targeting breast milk, genetically modified breast milk. Genetically engineered. Sorry. Breast. Yes. Gen- yes. Genetically so this is- engineered. I'm glad you made that faux pas because this is actually my, like, when I was listening to the podcast, um, because you sent it to me this morning, I was like, I think we need to have a better understanding because the host did not have a great understanding, I feel like, of the difference between genetically engineered, genetically modified, and then, like, quote unquote, like, fake meat, like, impossible burger that's, like, soy and, you know, different products. And I was like, I feel like they don't know the difference between all of those. I agree, clearly, because I faux pas in the beginning, Freudian slip. Um, (laughs) I don't think that's right either. (laughs) But uh, you guys, I'm so tired. Um, But I I was when I listened to it, I was frustrated because I was like, so the names behind it, not surprising, are Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Michael Bloomberg. And again, they're claiming that it's preventing and reversing climate change, that they want to reduce the carbon imprint from the global infant formula market. Why is it always about that? Like, why? No. Why can't it be like, 
when I was listening to this, I was like, why can't it be like, we want to make something more similar to breast milk instead of using like cow's milk, like make something that's actually breast milk. Why can't it be about that? Like, why can't it be like, we're trying to make a healthier product that parents feel better about? Like, I'm just like, why is it always about the environment? And I say that. I know. And I say that as a person who cares deeply cares about, about the environment. The environment. <laughs> yeah. Like just, we're like the generation that cried instead of cried wolf we're the generation that cried environment. Yeah. We're like cry climate change. Yeah. Um, also, this was interesting to me, this whole like genetically engineered breast milk thing. I actually like get the idea behind it, right? Like as a mom who breastfed and supplemented with formula and then ultimately transitioned to formula, I would love like a really amazing formula. Like I feel like now I see stuff all the time about how whatever formula isn't good or whatever. But I feel like it goes to our conversation about the lab grown meat. That's like we do not understand all the complexities in meat. We mm-hmm. definitely don't understand all the complexities in breast milk. And we think we can like engineer it like. I don't know. Kind of feels a little playing God there. I didn't like it because as I maybe and that's maybe why I said GMO, because in my head I was like this. I feel like the same crowd that is advocating for this would be the ones that would also put up uh, an article that like is negative GMO. And I'm like, (laughs) how can you be anti GMO? Like what's the difference? You know, modified engineered, like we're okay with whatever the slight difference between that is. And so that triggered me a little bit. And that's probably why I said GMO, because in my head I was like, it just that you can't hate GMOs and say that we need those out of the food system and then be like, but genetically engineered, we can do that to animal proteins and breast milk and ice cream and everything else. Like get your hands off ice cream, you know? Yeah. Ice cream is great the way it is. Why are we trying to change it? Yeah. Um, I will say the host did mention one thing that I liked in there. Um, like the male host, he was like, why do we think that we're just going to make something in a lab and not have an environmental impact. Like it's going to take all the same inputs all like in more like of having to run a literally factory to produce this. So that was like, it's one like redeeming quality. I felt like of that podcast, which is a lot to do with our third article today. You guys actually a little bit. Yeah, I'm ready. Should we jump right into them? Yeah, let's tee up the meat of the episode with our top three industry news pieces we're covering today. First up is Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop podcast episode where she interviewed a dietitian. And I honestly have so many thoughts. Uh, I don't know where we're going to start. It's probably going to be a little scattered on my end. Um, I feel the same because there's things that I liked about it and things I didn't. So I'm kind of trying to sort through. I tried to organize my thoughts last night into what I wanted to cover. So there's a lot to talk about. It's a good one. Our second article is JBS is under fire for greenwashing and misleading investors. Um, The greenwashing part, it's funny because um, we have an episode coming up with Dr. Frank uh, Mitlerner, and he talks a little bit about greenwashing. So I thought um, if you like this episode, I feel like definitely tune in um, in a couple days for that episode with Mitlerner. And our last article is about fake meat. And I think we agree with the authors on this for a majority. There are some parts I didn't like about it. But as Tara alluded to, they, they're pointing out some reasons why fake meat won't solve climate change. It, um, I really would love to know the author's like what the author's dietary choices are because he was kind of all over the place with um, a little bit of bashing ag, a lot of bashing fake meat. I don't know. It was kind of an interesting take. Yeah, it'll be fun to No talk one about. was spared. No, no, no. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> all right. But before we dive into all that, we want to remind you that every month we host a giveaway to say thank you for listening to the Discover Ag podcast. All you have to do to be entered is share our podcast to social channels or leave us a review. And at the end of every single month, we pick one lucky person and send them a bag of all of our favorite things. We're going to be announcing January's winner this week. So watch out for that in our stories. You guys left us some incredible reviews. And I just want to say thank you. They really like mean the world to Natalie and I. We like screenshot them and send them to each other. So thank you for all of those reviews. We also want to remind you that as of 2023, we are officially on YouTube. So if you prefer to tune in with video or know someone who is a YouTube fanatic and think they would enjoy listening to Discover on YouTube, be sure to send us send them our YouTube page. It is linked in the show notes and can be found by searching Discover Ag Podcast. You said YouTube so cute. You were like, YouTube. (laughs) We are on YouTube. (laughs) I'm trying to really keep our energy up since we started the episode by saying we're both a hot mess. All right. We're also going to do a quick podcast shout out today. We shared Discover More last week and we're going to share them again this week. Discover More is an independent podcast for thinkers seeking valuable life stories with practical mental health insights. The host is a pen educated policymaker turned psychotherapist, and he aims to highlight the magical relationship between healing and the optimal human experience. Recent episode feature topics such as the practical application of hypnotism, why spirituality is a marketplace, the psychedelic renaissance and sexual trauma healings, how art is the master of life. For anyone who has ever felt lonely because you are interested in wide-ranging topics and conversations that many can't relate to or have been searching for valuable life stories with practical mental health insights, tune in to discover more wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's dive into our top three news pieces you need to know this week. First up, Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop episode. It was titled Eating from Our Roots. In this episode, she interviews Maya Feller, who's a registered dietitian and author of the new Goop Press cookbook, Eating from Our Roots. Um, They discuss non-prescriptive approaches to food and nutrition, baseline recommendations for cooking for chronic conditions, thoughts on intermittent fasting, and different ways to bring more joy and flavor into the kitchen. That's the description she put in the show notes of her podcast. And I actually feel like it kind of does a terrible job of what they talked about because I feel like anything she listed there is not what stood out to me or what I felt were like the key important points of what they wanted, like what I want to talk about today. Um, So I'm not sure where you want to start if there's a certain angle you want to dive into first. If not, I can bring up a couple of mine. So I think it's worth noting that Gwyneth Paltrow, like, produce this book. I don't know how you'd say that. Publish this book, this cookbook. Like it yes. was a part of the Goop um, brand. And I personally felt like there was a few times where the author was like treading lightly, like didn't agree completely with Gwyneth Paltrow and was like kind of trying. Like at one point she was like, well, like Gwyneth was going on kind of about like, I don't know, like, tell us why everything is caused because of gut health or something. And she was like, well, from a science standpoint, that's not like entirely true. And I found that really interesting when you kind of picked up on a little bit of like, I don't know, inconsistencies and messaging. Well, I noticed, it's funny you noticed that because I did too. It was one of the first things that's actually, I was driving, listening to it. And the the point you were talking about in the podcast where she, Gwyneth says, talk about the gut um, and what happens to the gut when we're eating processed food. And the dietitian actually answers and brings up fake meat and talks about how processed the vegan um, meat substitutes are. And I literally wrote down that I felt like she danced around saying, like, I think she wanted to be like, they're crap, don't eat them. But she danced around it and was like, they're very, it's interesting, they're very highly processed. And I thought maybe it was because 
knowing the listener audience of who probably tunes into the goop. I mean, my guess would be that if they are not vegans or vegetarians, they're definitely, I mean, they're not going to be like carnivore based, you know, they are probably, (laughs) (laughs) I I would just say they lean towards um, what I would think of as like a stereotypical goop listener. I'm, you know, stereotyping them all, but I think they're going to have that diet. And so I thought maybe she was trying to appeal to who was listening, but it happened multiple times, especially with animal proteins. I picked up on that as well, and um, I was hoping she would hit a little harder, I feel like, maybe on the fake meat stuff, but I was like, she's not going to do it because of the listener audience. Um, I also thought that some of the conversation, considering these are two um, working women um, that obviously have built like large, you know, I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow's built like quite an empire that I thought they were a little unrealistic about some of their conversations. It was like, just make everything from scratch. Like the author was like, my grandmother was in the kitchen all day long. And I was like, I love that for your grandmother. (laughs) But like, and like she was like, and my grandmother and grandfather just grew all of their own vegetables in their backyard. And I was like, again, like, that's fantastic for them but like that's I just thought it was unrealistic um and maybe a little bit like some of their conversation was a little bit elitist and less the author more Gwyneth that is hilarious because they literally talked about you and I got totally different vibes from that conversation okay okay because she she literally says Gwyneth says um eating or maybe it was a dietitian that said that eating this way is a privilege. And Gwyneth asked, is it inherently privileged to expect to have whole foods and whole nutrition? So I think they're very aware of that it is. And I thought they did a really good job of bringing up that it is <laughs> and talking about how like this is what they advocate for. But the, especially the dietitian, she said a lot like, I have to understand who I'm working with. And she m- mentioned, I felt like multiple times about how food is, how did she say it? Um... I think she said like intricate or complex maybe. And she's like, I have to be in mind of who I'm working with. And so she would give examples of like, if I have a person that can afford this or choose this, then I would recommend this. Otherwise we talk about this. So it's so funny that we got like really different vibes from that. I feel like the dietitian did address that, but I felt like, I felt like it was another part where I felt conflicting things from Gwyneth versus the dietitian a little bit. Um, the other thing, I'm curious if you felt differently about this. I felt like I kind of wanted to tell the dietitian to also like stay in her lane a little bit when she started talking about agribusiness and like how great Australian beef is. And I was like, the U.S. beef actually has a lower carbon footprint, but like, thanks for saying we're doing crap and <laughs> Australia is doing good. Like, I don't know. I was like, she got into the agribusiness part and she was like, it's all for profit. And I was like, you don't want to make money off your cookbook? Like, why? I don't know. I... That whole thing was really problematic for me. Yeah. So I struggled a little bit. I did think, I mean, she, again, my ears kind of peaked up as I was driving because she did talk about like soil health and she talked about like taking care of the animals and the land. And you're right. She did point to like beef and lamb from Australia. Um, She even said the word ruminant. And I was like, okay. Um, So it felt like hockey points to me. Like I felt like she like had listened to something or heard a talk and then was just like kind of repeating words she heard. Sure. I definitely agree with that. But I also think it could have been way worse. And I don't know if that's like, it's kind of sad that we're in that place where we're like, we'll take the crumbs that we get that are like, okay, (laughs) she was talking about because I actually I think I'm going to turn into a reel. But Gwyneth said, there is incredible environmental benefits in raising animals for food, but also um, both environmental and nutritional standpoint. And I was like, wow, like that's 
amazing that Gwyneth, again, taking in mind, like, probably the life. I don't know if she's, like, in and out of veg. Like, I actually don't know her diet lifestyle right now. I'm assuming she's at least tried being a vegetarian or vegan at some point. Maybe she hasn't. But I thought that was pretty insane that she said that. You're right. Surrounded behind the, that sound bite was a lot of other interesting. I don't want to say, like, may, I mean, maybe misinformation. Not totally. Not like we're used not to. Not totally. Yeah. It was not terrible. You're right. And that sound clip was great. I was honestly surprised. I think she's eating meat. If I had to guess, she's eating fully grass-fed um, beef yeah. right now. That was yeah, the I mean, vibe. the dietitian definitely alluded to, like, she said, I think, in there, like, if my clients can afford it. Or or I think she said even with, like, a certain health standpoint, she always recommends grass-fed or something. And I was like, there it is again. But I did kind of oh, yeah, she, did. she said because of like gut health or something, they always recommend. And then they were talking about how it's harder to cook grass fed. They were like talking about the Instapot. Yeah. There was there was a whole like conversation there. Going back to like th- these, because they ended at the very end. The dietitian was like, thanks for having me on to have this conversation about, you know, not just clean, like tied up pretty answers. And it did make me kind of empathize just a little bit because you and I have been going on a few podcasts that are, I would say, pretty strong promoters of like regenerative agriculture only. I don't want to say only. That's just that's who's tuning into their podcast is not people that are like advocating for store meat or conventional agriculture feedlots, CAFOs like they don't. That's not part of their jargon and what they, you know, their listenership probably buys or believes in. And I do always like I'm getting a little bit of anxiety as these podcasts were on are rolling out because I'm like, we're going to I think some of them are going to eat us alive. Like, that's not what they want to hear. And I I feel like it is hard to go and have the conversation and say, like, listen, I understand that like whole food diet is optimal. Like, that's what I feed my family. I'm not advocating and saying that like fast food is good or, you know, our food system can't be improved. But like, we'll always go back to like food choice and the elitism that is saying like, if you're not eating this way, you're bad um, and kind of like period behind that. And so I do feel like there it is hard to go on to some of these podcasts and or have these conversations, whatever the platform, whether it's a, the podcast like this dietitian was on or a news article or an interview and have that, I don't know, complex of a conversation, I guess. Yeah, I actually, it's interesting you bring that up because I'm recording a podcast later with the Wellness Witch podcast, and it's very holistic, very regenerative. I'm guessing the audience is that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am a little nervous, and I remember being a little nervous before going on Brian Sanders' like Food Lies. And yeah. he, because um, he, it was it, funny because his intro was him selling grass-fed beef, mm-hmm. um, but I thought he did a really great job and did really justice on that episode of saying like, I advocate for having meat in your diet. Yes, I believe that grass fed is the best, but I don't think we need to put down conventional farming in order to sell like grass fed. And I just, I appreciated his approach actually. It made, it put me at ease going into that recording of like the fears I was having about how we were going to approach these conversations. Because the more we get into that kind of carnivore audience and their podcast, um, I do like... I don't know. I, I worry about how like the whole conventional CAFO conversation comes off. Totally. I'm like next to you shivering behind the screen. <laughs> like, sorry, <laughs> you, you answer that question. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So the last comment I wanted to make about this podcast, and I'm, it'll be interesting if you feel the same or not. Uh, the dietitian was comparing plant protein, like as if it was the same as animal protein. Like she was like, well, if you are vegetarian based, like you just add legumes. And I was like, 
there was not, and maybe it wasn't the conversation to get into, but there was no mention of like, you need to eat, make sure you're getting enough protein. If you're not having animal protein, you're not getting as high quality protein. If you're eating animal or plant proteins, like I wish she had touched on that a little bit because most dietitians that I've heard usually do touch on that because it's such a like important point of the protein conversation. Yeah, it's I did not pick up on that. Like I didn't actually write down a note about that. Uh, I actually know exactly what part of the podcast you're talking about. And now that you say that looking back, I think, gosh, that would have been a good opportunity, like you said, for her to do that. But I guess I kind of, again, everything we've talked about, like being interviewed on Gwyneth, some of the other, like having to dance around some of the conversation. And then also I was kind of towards the end and maybe she was just like keeping time. And I don't know. I think there's a lot of variables there. I think maybe not. Maybe I'm like giving her too much credit, but I feel like she probably is aware and hopefully does educate people on that. Just probably didn't do it in this podcast. That's fair. All right, moving on to our second industry news piece you guys need to know this week, Brazilian meat giant under fire for allegedly misleading investors. A small activist group called Mighty Earth is taking on the Brazilian-based food giant JBS over whether its green bonds deserve that earth-friendly connotation. In 2021, JBS, the world's biggest meat company and mammoth food processing firm, sold $3.2 billion worth of green bonds linked to the company's sustainability goals. If JBS fails to reach its targets for greenhouse gas emissions, it will be penalized and will pay bondholders a step up amount or premium payment. On Tuesday, Mighty Earth filed a complaint with the Securities and Exchange Commission alleging that JBS is already failing to meet its emission targets. Mighty Earth wants the agency to impose penalties and injunctions on the Brazilian company, which it says has contributed to or ignored deforestation carried out by its suppliers. I'm kind of confused by this entire article because... So people bought bonds in order to help JBS become more sustainable. If they don't reach their goals, they have to pay investors back with the premium payment. So how I'm kind of like, isn't this like a win-win? Like you're funneling money into the company to be more sustainable. And then if they don't get there, they're going to have to like acknowledge it. So I don't understand, I guess, the accusations here. So I loved this article, but I didn't like pay attention to what the article was about. Like you said, the basis of it. I loved it because I learned so much about different things. So I learned so much about JBS. It was fascinating. So we'll dive into them in a second. But going to what you said that so the goal is for them to be more sustainable. They have to pay money if they don't. I think what Mighty Earth is upset about is the transparency. I think they just want, I think big food can say like, hey, we're putting out these goals. And then it's kind of like, where's the metrics, the data, where is it up being held? They are, it sounds like they are being like held accountable for because they have to pay people back. So again, you're right. I'm not sure, kind of sure what Mighty Earth is upset about. I don't know. Again, I also focused on like everything I learned about JBS, but I do think it highlighted something important, which is that like we need new rules on the climate related disclosures a little bit. And they talked about this um, there. The SEC is expected by April to kind of do that. They want to um, let's see. I want to pull the quote so I get it right. They hope the new rules will boost transparency by requiring companies to issue periodic reports on climate related risks and their impacts on the environment. And I think if anything comes out of that is that then that's amazing. 
I, if you, if anyone's ever heard like me give my keynote speech, I talk about how this entire area of like scope three emissions, carbon credits, all of it is like, it's like the wild west right now. Like nobody, mm-hmm. there's no rules. No one knows what's going on. Everyone's like trying to like jump on it and there's still so much to figure out. So in like JVS's defense, I guess, like they're not the only company experiencing this, like of trying to kind of figure it out as they're going. Um, also, one of the things I found interesting is that with these green bonds and then money from the company, they're going to be putting $7 billion into their sustainability efforts, which include like minimizing deforestation. So like I was kind of, I don't know, pleasantly surprised to see that, I guess. So going back to what you said that, well, now I can't remember what you said, but it triggered me to think about what they wrote in there. (laughs) Who's not listening to who now? (laughs) No, I just can't remember exactly what you said. But So they were quoted in the article as JBS as one of the three linchpin companies for changing the whole meat industry. And I was kind of like, whoa, wow, really? Okay. That's putting like a lot on JBS. Um, But they then, as we learn more, um, JBS has one of the highest emissions in any company in agriculture. The company's methane emissions exceed the combined total of France, Germany, Canada, and New Zealand, the group said, which I did not fact check this at all. So I don't know if that's actually accurate. Um, But JBS, they quoted them as the world's second largest food company and the largest animal protein producer. So like you said, I do think that JBS stepping out, they were actually one of the first ones. I went to their website and tried to find like their sustainability page to like read more about their, I don't know what they wrote on their sustainability, their pledges, I guess. Um, And they were one of the, they were the actually the first global meat and poultry company to commit to achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions. And so I do feel like, eyes are on them and they're right. Like they do have, uh, through these initiatives, they do maybe have the opportunity to set like a different precedent. Yeah. So I want, I think this is worth noting, but 90% of JBS's emissions come from its supply chain. So this is like the cattle, like it's not a fact. It's not the JBS fat packing plant. That's like, like causing the emissions. It's like, where they're getting the beef from. Yes. Um, and you said that. You said in JBS's defense because it kind of is in their defense. And you mentioned sc- scope or uh, is it scope three or type three emissions? Scope three emissions. Scope three emissions. So for everyone who's not familiar, because I wasn't super familiar with that jargon, there's scope one, scope two, and scope three. Scope one means it's direct. Scope two is direct, indirect from purchasing energy. And then scope three is indirect from value chain. And so like Tara said, 90% of JBS's, and I would argue probably any of the packing industry, because when we were at Sustainable Ag Summit back in November, shout out to that conference. It's a good one. There was a speaker there actually talking about this. I think he said like four to 5% is what the packing plants have the potential to reduce. Um, It is scope three it is outside is the supply chain of of where all those emissions you know that that footprint is coming from so i do think like you said it's the wild west like they recognize they need to decrease scope three but like how jbs does i don't know i don't want jbs having more control over that anyway you know like jbs already has (laughs) so much control over the meat industry to begin with it's like are we really gonna like let them dictate and control what we have to do to reduce so that they can reduce their carbon footprint you know So that is okay. This is going to be a rabbit hole, but I think we should take a minute to go down it. Like scope three emissions is what every big brand is talking about right now, whether it's Nestle, Starbucks, JBS, all of them are like trying to reduce their scope three emissions, which if you like, basically what that means is follow it back to the farmer. They want to reduce if it's Starbucks, they want to reduce greenhouse gas emissions of milk. Milk is one of the largest like 
supplies that Starbucks uses. And so it's going to all go back to the farmer. I think that this is twofold. I think it creates a lot of opportunity. I know that like Starbucks has a lot of initiatives going on right now. I'm going to just pick on Starbucks because I feel like I've been following their information more. They have a lot of initiatives to work with farmers, help bring technology, new ideas, and really want to bring them as like a part of this like story so that they can ultimately kind of market. Like we worked with the dairy farmers to help have more sustainable milk, ultimately coffee um, or coffee products. And so I like that sounds exciting. On the flip side of the coin, I kind of like that. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) We're good with that. But like moving to the other side, I agree with you. Like, do we want like a JBS or a Nestle or a Starbucks or like we were talking about last week, Danone being like, you better be carbon neutral by 20, you know, whatever, 2040 is when JBS has their carbon neutral um, requirements and like just really dictating that to us. And I think we're kind of headed in that direction a little bit. And then the last thing that I feel really passionately about is keeping carbon neutrality within the food supply chain. So if farmers, I think if farmers can team up with like a Nestle or Starbucks to like offset carbon emissions, it's actually great versus saying that they're going to like sell it to like I don't know, Southwest or an airlines, because then it leaves the food supply chain. So there's like three things there. I don't think we want to dive into all of them, but I just think it's worth noting like what's going on and what is happening in the scope three emissions world. No, I think it's it's fascinating and it's probably what we're going to have to, I mean, there'll just be more and more conversation around it. I think if I read another headline though, that is like, 2030 or 2040 goals I'm going to just it, it reminds me of like um in like 1999 when we were like rolling over 2000 for New Year's Eve you know everyone at 2029 is like going to be sitting like <laughs> just like what's going to happen in 2030 nothing nothing is going to be different in 2030 nothing was different from 1999 to 2000 and that's how <laughs> I feel about like they're picking 2030 and 2040 I'm like if I read another title that says that I'm just going to pop my top Yes. Okay. What fun things did you learn about JBS? I'm curious what you picked up. Oh, I covered them already. I just talked about how I just didn't realize how, I mean, they, oh, I mean, I knew they were large, but I did not know that they were, what did I say? The second, uh, the second largest food company and the largest animal protein producer they have. I found their brands page on their website. They own so many brands. It's insane actually. I didn't realize that they controlled so much more than just beef, that they have like a lot of chicken. They have like a solar energy business. They have, they acquired, I did not realize this at all. They acquired the pork business of Cargill. Mm-hmm. So like Cargill, I, I didn't know all that. And then did you read into them that they got like somebody sold them illegal beef? That was like a whole thing that I thought. I thought that was funny. I mean, the article focused on like kind of what we were talking about at the beginning, like this mighty earth versus JBS. And then at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, and deforestation and they're corrupt. And it's like they just <laughs> threw all these things at the end. They're like, and this is why we should hate JBS. And it was like bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And I was like, that was an interesting way to wrap up the article. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think some of them are valid points, but I just felt like it was weird at the end. Um, it reminds me of last week's episode. Again, I was like SEOing, like JBS. They wanted to get in JBS deforestation. So yeah. they just like use those two words in <laughs> conjunction multiple times in the very last paragraph, even though it did not flow with the rest of the article at all. I was like, they just want to make sure they rank on Google for those search terms because I guarantee somebody's searching that. For sure. 
All right. Our third and final industry news piece, you guys do know this week, it's an open ed. Um, Fake meat won't solve the climate crisis. So a new report questions the dramatic environmental claims that alternative proteins can save the planet, disrupt the status quo, or challenge the power of the corporate food industry. This is actually a little bit older of an article. It was written in early 2022, but we're going to run with it. We're going to talk about it today anyway. Um, Also, it's called an op-ed, I think. Oh. Op-ed. Okay. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> Asterix. Op-ed. I don't know. What did I say? Op- op-ed? Open-ed. Open-ed. I don't Open know. <laughs> okay. 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 So this one, it starts out like as if it's going to be, I feel like when you first start reading it, you're like, okay, so you hate agriculture. Like it was like kind of bashing ag and uh-huh. like talking and then it ends in a completely different direction or like takes a hard left turn. So the first point that they make as to why it's not like their claim against uh, why it's not the savior is that all of the claims about how it is going to save the planet, like basically everything that these fake meats say they're going to do and why they're better and why you should choose them, they say are based on a really narrow assessment of which products can deliver the most protein for the least carbon, which we talk about all the time, carbon tunnel visual. And I think that was so great that this article brought this up because it's like, what about the nutrition standpoint? Like we can't forego people's nutrition just for sustainability. I, I think everyone thinks of America as, um, well, we don't think of us as a healthy society, but I think they forget that like we have people that aren't getting food. We have people that are getting malnourished food, you know, like that exists here in the U S and so we can't just simply trade one for the other and lose track of the nutrition standpoint. So I thought I was like, yay, I guess I'll, if, again, if you like scroll, skim by everything that they <laughs> say about agriculture, that's bashing us. They make going, like a valid point where going. I'm like, agree. Um, I thought that I liked their point about how nearly all of the world's meat and dairy giants, quote unquote, have now rolled out their own like fake meat products or fake milk products. Like everybody's kind of like jumping on this bandwagon a little bit. Yeah, I had initially hadn't like thought of that as a point, but I agree. I wrote down that I was like really happy to see that. Um, They said that nearly all of the world's meat and dairy giants have now rolled up their own fake meats or brought up existing players. And as a result, it's becoming increasingly difficult for consumers to know who is behind the brands. And it's increasingly hard to avoid, you know, those giants um, if you're like trying to vote with your dollar. And I was like, oh, that's again, like a valid point and an interesting take that I'll probably now use in my, <laughs> my yeah, conversations like a, about this. I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, like I don't want to support like kind of like the big four, like that whole attitude. And it's like, or any large food companies kind of, and we're mm-hmm. thinking like plant-based would be like an alternative right. to that. And it's not at all. Greenwashing. Oh, so, greenwashing. Um, also, oh, where did this stat go? Um, I liked reading about how the world ha- is um, has consumed double the amount of meat and seafood in the last 50 years. Did you read that one? Um, no, I, I skimmed that, that really... part, I guess. Yeah. Um, over the last half century, we have doubled our meat and fish consumption. That's interesting. Do you believe that? Is that true? I don't, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, like maybe because world, the population like is larger. growing. Um, yeah. And larger middle classes and stuff. Yeah, I don't. That's interesting to dive into that more. Like, I don't know if that's just because people are like choosing to eat more meat. 
Yeah, and then the very end of the article got in. Well, I guess it's not the end. I guess it's kind of the middle. It's a long one. Um, they were like, there's not a global protein shortage. Most people get enough protein. And I think that goes against everything I had seen in other things from like registered dietitians. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't read that part, but I'm not sure that's true either. You guys, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. I feel like if there's one thing we've learned about op-eds is they have a ton of like just personal opinion and less facts. Well, that's funny you say that because in the Goop podcast, Gwyneth asked the dietitian about coffee and she's like, is it really that is it good or bad? Basically, she was like firing off foods and she was like, yeah, I just read something in the New York Times about how uh, coffee is like a super, I don't know, pro- nutrient, not protein, super nutrient or something. I don't know, power, super food, super power food, whatever they call that. And I was like, well, who wrote that? Was it just a like opinion article written by someone or was it a dietitian? Like what was it? Who was writing that in the New York Times? Very interesting. I was like, maybe yeah. back, check that one. Um, the third point, though, that I pulled out that I like agree with from this article is they talk about like society differences with meat and animals. And again, they like started the sentence out with factory farming. But if you like move on beyond that, they say that in some parts of the world, raising animals helps to use limited land and resources efficiently, buffer against food shocks and provide livelihoods where few options are available. Livestock contributes to the livelihoods of 1.7 billion smallholder farms in the global south and plays a crucial economic role for approximately 60% of rural households in developing countries. And that is something that I think Sustainable Dish does a really good job talking about, like the like women in third world countries and I guess just uh, maybe like households in general, but how populations rely so heavily on animals and animal protein, not only for food, but like for income for their families. And I think, again, going back to like elitist conversations here in the US, we just forget that not everyone can be like, I'll order my maca- matcha latte and, you know, or smoothie instead or whatever. Yeah. Um, I, when I worked with a global dairy platform to like speak at the UN. That was probably the most eye-opening experience for me. It was actually the day of the rural woman wo- woman while I was there speaking. So there was a ton of focus on that. And the global dairy platform actually has a study it released with the UN about the impact of dairy specifically on like developing nations and underserved communities and women like in third world countries and like their children, obviously. And we do not give like agriculture enough credit there of like what it can actually do. And that I was glad they mentioned that in this in like all the things they talked about that I actually was like, why don't we talk about that more? Um, The role that like animal ag production has for women that are able to have like a goat or a cow or a beef cow um, and what that means for them and their family. We all now have a new soapbox. You guys, everyone has a new soapbox to get on. Heck yes. I That is like a soapbox we should be on. So that was kind of it. I don't know. They covered a lot in here. I almost wonder if we should, uh, we like to uh, start or are going to, well, we've done it like individually on our accounts, but we just did our first like on the Discover page where we debunked. Um, and so usually we go for like articles we want to debunk, but I'm almost wondering if we should do a reel on this one, just pointing out like the positivity of it. Choosing to <laughs> that leave out good. a nice paragraphs in certain case. words, <laughs> but yeah, I do feel like over. I do feel like overall, I was like, I don't know. I felt like it was a win for like one point them, zero points Beyond Burger. You know, um, one fact about uh, Beyond or Impossible Foods. I read this morning they, um, as of yesterday, were laying off twenty percent of their workforce. So that's really sad. 
I actually dropped in an article about one of the owners that I think would maybe be interesting to talk on next week's podcast. So we'll see if we end up choosing it. Okay. But he's I'll kind of throwing a hissy fit about uh, article, like how everyone's talking about how stocks are down. Oh, yep. I saw so. that one. Yep. Let's talk about that one. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for listening to Discover Ag, where every Thursday we cover the top three industry news pieces you guys need to know this week. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it or leave, leave us a review. And if you want more during the week, you can always follow us on Instagram at discoverag underscore at Natalie Kavoric at Tara Vanderdusen, as well as our YouTube Discover Ag podcast. See you guys next week.